How did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello everyone and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with New Radio Media. And we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff and having fun while we learn. That phone number, if you can get through to my booth, is 844-999-9249. Or you can email the show at letstalktorah at gmail.com. And I am joined for a second go-around with my friend Neil, Neil Zelenko. Neil, how are you today? Great, uh, Rabbi, or Tzvi. Which do you prefer to be called? If you can pronounce Tzvi, you're allowed Tzvi. to say Tzvi. If you Tzvi. can't pronounce it, then you got to say Rabbi. Okay, how about Rabbi Tzvi? You could do that. Okay, and it's nice to be back. I didn't think I did well enough to get a second chance, but, you know, America's got talent. We have talent, and it's really the idea after Yom Kippur, we give second chances. Oh, I appreciate that. It means, <laughs> I it means a lot to me. So before we, we get into stuff, I have to tell you a great story. Don't I get to decide if it's great? No, because oh. it's my show. Okay, good. But when it's your show, <laughs> okay. then you could say if it's a good story. But anyways, um, I don't know if I told you, you must have known. Um, my father passed away about a year ago. I think you knew. Yes. So um, officially, um, maybe because I'm the oldest son, I have no idea, but um, all the books in the house, the Hebrew books, officially belong to me. I don't want all of them. I don't need all of them. Anybody who wants, any of the kids, I mean family who wants. I don't mean anyone to start calling me and asking to come by and take books out of the shelf. Mm-hmm. But um, there was a set of books um, actually by Samson Rafael Hurst that I wanted. So I took them. They're in my office in school. So last Sunday, I'm in my office preparing for our show and uh, waiting for the IT guy to come because I just found out they changed all the passwords and I didn't know the new password, so I couldn't do any computer stuff. And I'm going through the... It's, it's on the book of Devarim on Deuteronomy, and I find three pieces of folded-up paper. Pull it out. Sure enough, it's my father's handwriting. Nice. You know, the old days... They actually wrote their speeches. Mm-hmm. And he had a certain handwriting, and a, he used a blue fountain pen. And um, it was actually the speech that he used at my son Menachem's bar mitzvah. Menachem is all of, uh, I guess he's turning 28, so you're talking about 14 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was so nice. To, and I was, I'm, we're almost up to the anniversary of his death, actually, um, right before Yom Kippur was the last day that I lead the services. And it's 11 months leading the services, my last day. So like right then, I was like a message, like, hello, how's everything doing? Here's a message. It was like, it felt so good yeah. to, you ever had that yeah. happen to you? It's so, it, you know, it uh, reminds me of, of two different things. And, and, you know, we didn't prepare for this at all. We're not supposed so, to prepare. We're, we're supposed, supposed to just schmooze. One, one is that the, the, uh, the concept of 11 months why is it that you say Kaddish for 11 months and not a year? You know, I mean, the longer, the better. You'd think you want to elevate the neshama of right. your loved one. So would you like to comment on that? I, I'll answer that for you, but I'll tell you a step further. Um, I felt by the last prayer 
so everyone says, okay, now you don't gotta your voice, and you gotta get up there, and you gotta be on time and early every time. So now you can take a break. So you know, I thought about it, and you almost feel like you lose a connection. In other words, there's like a connection to the soul that you are praying for the soul, married for the soul every day. And when time's up, it's like, okay, that's it. Now you're, yes, I, I, I'm still trying to be on time, but I'm not the one running to lead the services in the Kaddish. And I lost that connection a little bit. And I, I wasn't so happy about that. But the answer is that generally speaking, without all the different exceptions to the rule, if a soul was not so good on this world, right? We just finished Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. If the soul did not do what it was supposed to do and unfortunately may have sinned, so the soul has to be cleansed. There's a cleansing process. In English, you call that hell. We call it Gehenim. Gehenim. Mm-hmm. And that process, I mean, you know, with all the books and stuff, our imagination is a roaring fire. It's probably not a roaring fire because the soul anyways is spiritual. But whatever it is, it is a cleansing process which is not pleasant to say the least. That's like a nice way of saying it. It's hell, right? It's not a good place. So the Talmud says that people that are the the most wicked people go through a 12-month cleansing process. Let's hold that. That's what a twelve. That's part of the idea of the year. So there's a twelve month cleansing process. If the person is was so rotten that he has a lot of cleansing, a lot of dry cleaning and washing, twelve months. Okay, now let's hold that thought for a second. Um, so there's a another story in the Talmud where the great Rabbi Akiva was traveling and he passed the cemetery, and he um, he saw I guess a soul all black and crying, and the soul said. Um, I'm suffering. You got to help me. So the great Rabbi Akiva says, how can I help you? He says, go find my son. If he could say something in the prayers, Kaddish, Kedusha, blessing, that would be tremendous comfort to my soul. So Rabbi Akiva searches for the guy. Turns out he's illiterate. Doesn't read Hebrew, doesn't know the letters. So Rabbi Akiva teaches him to read, teaches him the letters, how to read, gets him to lead the prayers, and he goes back to the cemetery, and the soul is gone. Okay, so now, with these two pieces of information, part of leading the prayers, or saying the Kaddish, is it, it gives a comfort to the soul. That's the purpose. Now, we don't know how somebody really was in their lifetime. Most of our parents don't tell us good, not good. Hopefully, we all believe that our parents were wonderful. That's the, what we're supposed to believe as children, at least. If a person were to say Kaddish the whole 12 months, it's almost like waving a flag. An, ins- <laughs> an insult. Very much so. In other words, oh, my father, mother, they were so rotten. I'm going to, every second of 12 months, he's probably burning down there. I'm going to send them a lot of comfort. So by cutting it off in a month, we say we're clueless. We have no idea. It's certainly helpful to the soul, but not insulting. Yeah. So you refer to this... Uh mourning process of 11 months or 12 or 30 days and what it does for the soul or the neshama. But really, well, I, I want to do like you do. 
jump off to something and see if I can rubber band back to what we were talking about. There seems to me to be two general kinds of Jews, Ashkenazi and Sephardim. And then in that, there's four subgroups for my simple purposes, Orthodox, which might have another dozen subgroups, Conservative, which is a more modern uh, application of uh, policies and procedures, Reform, and Secular. Okay. So, I mean, because that you're still a Jew, even if you're yes, even if you're a secular Jew, or you and you don't do so. Many of these uh, minhags really help us the living, and so what I found after eleven months was, I kind of missed it. That what I really had for eleven months was to fill the void of losing my loved one, whether it was my mother or my father. It was filled with the community, and that our Jewish people are about community. And so you're already active in your community, but for me who comes into one of those four subgroups, that community embracing you. And so sometimes at the end of the 11 months, you think, I mean, I don't want to go. Yeah, you know. I don't want to leave. You said I don't want I don't have to get up early in the morning, but for those others, it's, it's, you know, it's... My, my, right. There's there's that fantastic, and that's a little bit I was trying to to say before. When I had to stop, it was again we're talking community, mm-hmm. talking souls. But I almost felt like that great connection that I've had. Y- you're forcing me to stop. Yeah. And what if I'm asking for an extension? And the answer is, you can. You can as a secular Jew still go to services, they allow you. You can, as a Reformed Jew, still decide to go on Saturdays. You can, as a conservative Jew, still say, I'm going to put on tefillin. You still can. So in in addition to giving you comfort, it gives you an opportunity to say, I tasted this and not bad. You know, maybe, and maybe you tasted leading services and said, you know, I don't have to have a loss in my life to want to be the... Gabi or whatever it is that leads the service, you know? Right, the so. Hebrew word would be Baal Tfila, but yeah, that's not yeah, so important. Right, 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 yeah. yeah so it leads me, one of my papers here, which I was going to get to later, I read this great article. Well, that's debatable if it was a great article. But there's a lady, I think her name is Jane Eisner. So she writes in the foreword, I don't know if you read it, I don't read it too much. She has a whole concern about what she calls Jews of no religion, JNR. Have you ever heard of this? No, but I can understand. So she's talking about, and maybe we can talk about it for a few minutes, Um, she talks about, there was a Pew study about five years ago, uh, what's happening to the Jewish world at large, and there's a, a portion, not a small portion, of people that refer to themselves as Jews... JNR, Jews of no religion. They're not associated with synagogues or temples or maybe they're JCCs. They're just not affiliated. And she's trying to write an article, which I have my own issues with, her concerns. Her concerns are who's going to support the Jewish organizations, who's going to take care of other Jews, who's going to be out there helping voter registration. That She has those kinds of, uh, of issues that she's worried about. Um, but I really worry that those Jews of no religion, that's their choice. That's fine. But if they have no connection, like, you don't need to have a connection. You can go to, to any synagogue or any temple and pray and have a connection. 
if these people have no connection. Well, you might ask, how did this study, whatever it was, the Pew study, determine who these people were? So what they did is they self-identified, which is a whole other subject. I've said this when I was uh, in Israel in October. I decided to wear a kippah. Great. No, it wasn't. But I decided to wear a kippah because I thought to myself and I said to the other people on the group, you know, God forbid there should be another holocaust. They'll be able to remind all of those people who don't know that they're Jewish. They'll be able to pick them out and say, uh, sorry, Svi, right. over to the line. Zelenko, you're over here. And so, you know what? I'll make it easy for them. Here's a kippah. I'm going to wear a kippah because I'm a Jew, but I'm a secular Jew, which is, I mean, about how, you know, how much easier can that be? So it's how do people identify as being Jewish? So here's a way. I bowl in a B'nai B'rith bowling league. Therefore, I feel myself Jewish. But really, that means they feel themselves as part of a community. And as long as we feel our, as part of a community, I think we'll be okay. So here's my question on this one. Mm-hmm. If... If the person's Jewish connection is bowling in a Jewish B'nai B'rith league. Now, to be fair, if, for argument's sake, you happen to bowl in a B'nai B'rith league, that's probably not the only thing that reminds you you're Jewish. These people who, at least, at least, they're willing to identify as being Jewish. Self-identify. Self-identify. It's a good word. somebody right, point out right, to them. Right, right, right. As long as they're good, they're self-identified. Um, will their children, and for sure grandchildren. So this is such a beautiful question at this time of year. I think it is. High holidays. The rabbi at our synagogue said the last time the Jews had a homeland before 70 years ago was 200 B.C.E., around the time of the Maccabeans. After that, they didn't have a homeland. They were dispersed all over. How did we survive? This is not the answer to me. This is the question. How did we survive? What was it that allowed us to survive? So you might say divine, but no, because you're concerned right now today. Are we going to survive another 2,100 years? What was it that allowed us to survive. Do you have any? So historically, if you look, what kept, as you always had, let's not uh, pretend otherwise, there were always secular Jews. They may have gone under different names Mm -hmm. and different titles. You always, always had secular Jews. Mm -hmm. And you always had religious Jews, Orthodox. I mean, whatever titles they used in those days, not so important for us. What seems to happen is that the religious Orthodox Jews have the Torah to keep them Jewish. They're studying, they're doing mitzvos, they're part of their synagogues, they're part of their studying, their their communities themselves. I actually, again on a side, so my daughter's supposed to do a Holocaust report, her 12th grade report is, not a report, but a paper. Mm-hmm. So they give her a list of topics. So first we picked one topic. The teacher said, oh, that's a very big, broad topic. Then why would you put it down on the list of topics? But anyways, so I said, pick ghettos. I think there's a lot to learn in the ghetto. Then I told her that I had just seen, I said, oh, there's a book in my bathroom. And it talks about the, orig- the ghettos in the 12, 13, 1400s where the world was full of serfs. 
and or kings or bishops or or dukes, and they had their serfs. And when they sold their land, the the serfs went along, and the Jews had their own ghettos. They locked at the door on the inside, not the outside. And that was their community, and that community was based on their study and their keeping the laws and the holidays. That's what kept them Jewish. Didn't matter where they lived. Didn't matter where they lived. They were all over the world. It didn't matter. That was their connection. Were they secular Jews? Always. I mean, you go back to the 1700s, reform movement began. You go to the Maccabees, you mentioned before. There was the um, the Hellenists, right? Hellenists, Misyavnim in Hebrew. So what seems to happen is the the those that have that connection to their community, to Torah, to mitzvahs, they stick around, and everyone else seems to fade away. No. No. Okay, so I'm ready. So it's the sense of community. You mentioned the word. We'll replay this evidence and have you testify again after the commercial break. Yes, but I will. you'll find that you use the word community. I did use that word. A dozen times, and that's what's unique. And now we have to find out what binds our community. Is this a good time for a break? No, I actually have <laughs> a whole nother minute. Yeah. So you keep talking while so, you want to talk about community. So it's, Then we'll cut it, you off. It's a sense of community, and if and we have to support our communities. Our community is based on Torah, that is, books and studying. And so long as we have books and study, they don't have to be in private schools because I know you support one, but you it's that we are people of the book, we study, and we have a community. And those of us that are able to have to continue to support our communities, whether it's in the 200th century, 200th year, or the 14th century, or whatever, those people who can have to support the community so that there's always a community there. See, and now the music's coming. We're going to talk community when we come back. Maybe I'll get to some of the stuff we repaired, maybe some Yom Kippur, maybe some Sukkot, some good community stuff. Hold on, you're listening to Rabbi Tzvi. I'm joined with Neil Zelenko, and we'll be right back. Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our Nine and Dine special, nine holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com. Advertising your business these days can be challenging. Traditional radio and TV ads are expensive and, frankly, a bit of a crapshoot. Not to mention, the audience for over-the-air material is shrinking as more and more of us demand to see and hear what we want, when we want. Advertising on new radio media is a solution. With our live streaming programs that are also available on demand, your message is always ready when your customers are ready to watch and listen, all for a fraction of what you'd likely have been paying for other ads. NewRadioMedia.com. Call Buzz Van Houten at 248 248- 939-9999 for more information. Hey you guys, it's Raphael of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Guess what? The only thing we can get down here in the sewer is Geektainment Weekly on new radio media. Turtle Power! Hi, I'm Art and we're the crew at Tuffy Walled Lake. We've been in Walled Lake for 20 years. And through our knowledgeable staff and customer satisfaction, we've become quite the cornerstone in our community and to our discerning customers statewide. 
We know how important your vehicle is to you, and we take pride in our impeccable, affordable service. And we're trying to get you back on the road as quickly and safely as we possibly can. Please stop in and see why everybody comes from all over to get their car serviced at 784 North Pontiac Trail in Wald Lake. Because I'm all about that roach, about that roach, Hashanah. I'm all about that roach, about that roach, Hashanah. I'm all about that roach, And we're back talking. Well, we want to talk Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot, but right now the conversation is based on community. That's where we got finally cut off. We're talking community. So if we're asking what will help the Jewish, I guess a world, continue. <coughs> so Neil says it's going to continue only because of community, but that community, um, I guess somewhere in that community is the, is the I guess, home, home base where there is studying. Let's, let's take it slow. What's, what makes something a Jewish community? Is that the wrong question? No, it's a great question. It's so simple. I'll let the rabbi answer. No, did you hear that story? Yes, I did. Okay, <laughs> but we'll say this, this is how I heard the joke. Um, there was a the wagon driver. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll tell everybody in case they never heard this joke. Uh, there was a great rabbi being driven by a wagon driver to a big event, and no one knew who the rabbi was. It wasn't like they had social media and pictures. He had a long beard. You could be anybody. So the wagon driver turns to the rabbi and he says, "You know, all him is a wagon driver." You always go up and get so much honor. So the rabbi says, look, I, I need this. I'll pretend to be the wagon driver. You pretend to be me. Let's see what happens. So the wagon driver just puts on the rabbi's coat, puts on his hat, walks in, and everybody's standing up for him and brings him up to the front of the room and honoring him. And someone comes over and says, Rabbi, can I ask you a question? Sure, go right ahead. And he asks him a pretty complicated question, and everyone's waiting the wagon driver, of course, is clueless, but he's not a fool. The wagon driver says, you know, you disappoint me. My wagon driver could answer that question. Why don't you ask him? So hopefully you weren't referring to me as your wagon no, driver. No, but no, it's, it's, uh, but I, I uh, we, we, we start to say about community, but I sense a different reason that why we're together, why we've survived 2,100 years. And it's a, a, something that is said at Pesach. It says, in every generation will come up somebody to oppose you. Or I don't know what the exact words are. But, you know, it wasn't just uh, the Pharaoh. In every generation. So in every generation, we've been ghettoized, put back into our communities, put into our own special places where we had to stay with our own kind. And then those places were maybe uh, surrounded with books and other things. But truthfully, the world made us survive by keeping us together. So I and, like that answer so much. Good. You say and, I'm going to tell you something, yeah. it's, you're going to love it. But, yeah. but that is such a good answer. Who made you so smart? You were never in my third grade class. <laughs> you should have been. Yeah. Here's what I teach my third graders. So the beginning. This of, is so simple. Even a third grader knows it. No, my third graders <laughs> have to know this. They, they I mean, may, maybe they're not drivers. But no, they're, they're not wagon drivers. <laughs> but no, they should know this. So at the what, beginning, what is the term for a wagon driver in Yiddish? Uh, what's you said a, a, a balagola. A balagola. A balagola. Really. Uh, that may be Hebrew, but of course, if you just say yeah, it yeah, fast or yeah, you put yeah, the accent yeah. wrong, it's a balagola or yeah. whatever. Yeah, it's a wagon yeah, driver. Yeah. Yes, we have yeah. to help you with language. Excellent. Yeah. So um, 
we find a very interesting verse at the but beginning. Did he ever use that term in a, in a derogatory term? He's such a balagula. Yeah, it means that that's, that's I guess, nowadays. Now, I can't even use this because my son is a plumber. But people say, eh, you don't make anything out of yourself. You might as well be a plumber. Yeah. In other words, but my son is a plumber, so okay. I don't do well okay. with that joke as much anymore. <laughs> yeah. But I used to do well with it. Yeah. It means someone who's probably unlearned <laughs> and can't do much more than just drive a wagon. Yeah. Okay. So it says in the beginning of Exodus, we find the verse that it says the Jewish people started moving out of, they were in this place called Goshen, a little city. They started moving out to all of Egypt. And then all of a sudden, the verse says that the Egyptians came and made them slaves and oppressed them. So the commentaries explain, as long as we stayed in that Goshen area, so we remained a Jewish people so God says, fine, you're good, you're not so good. You're, you're, you're staying Jewish, no problem. But as soon as you move out into the world and you're trying your hardest to be not Jewish, so God says, I'm not letting. I'm not letting you be not Jewish. So in other words, when we have all these different organizations and projects to make sure Jewish continuity, a lot of times we need God's help. And historically... Really, it's fascinating. Every time we've completely moved out to become, we'll call it secular for lack of a better term, but to become like all the nations, all of a sudden, somebody comes and says, if you're a Jewish, you're done. Whether it was in Spain and then in Portugal, certainly in all the Arab countries, it was simple. They knew If you didn't become an Arab, they, uh, you were that uh, the Dimitri, not Dimitri, that's the name, the Mindy, I don't remember. It means a second-class yeah. citizen. Or Hitler did it. They'll go through the research. They'll find out your great-great-great-great-grandfather's mother was Jewish. So you're Jewish. That's why I wore the kippah. Because it was it was in spite of that. I said, hey, I know that you know. So what am I pretending to hide from? But I found that wearing the kippah was a mistake. Why? Because oh. you didn't have a strimal. That would have been much better mm-hmm. in the heat. No. We went into a restaurant on Saturday night. What time Saturday night? Let's consider it into Sunday. Okay. Because that's not the point of the story. Okay, fine. And uh, the, the maitre d' said, uh, you know, sir, we're not kosher. I said, not a problem. We were open on Saturday. I said, not a problem. He didn't mean not kosher that they were serving a pork product, but that they didn't observe that rule. I said, not, not a problem. And then I sat down and the waiter said, you know, pardon me, sir, but, uh, you know, we're not kosher. I said, no, not a problem. And I realized that by wearing a kippah, I was sending a signal that was different than the signal that I had intended to send. The signal I intended to send was, I'm Jewish. You got some issue with that? Bring it up. But the issue I was sending was, you, you. Svi could eat at this place because me, an observant Jew with a kippah, is eating here. And that was misleading, and we don't want to mislead. Right. So really, if you would have worn it in France, then your message would, then you would have gotten across your message because everybody would understand you're trying to show you're Jewish. In Israel, it happens to be. But I asked somebody here, and they said, even in, in Michigan, if I wear my kippah at Ely's, uh, Mediterranean food, I'm implying to people walking by that you can eat here because it's kosher. So very often you may see semi-observant Jews wear a baseball cap. They have their kippah underneath. But they don't want to send a signal to a passerby that 
this particular place is okay because they know it isn't. They've decided that they'll eat from their own plate or only the egg dish or whatever that might be, however they may observe it. But that my wearing a keep a scent a signal that might deceive somebody, and so I stopped wearing it. Yeah, and Israel, it happens to be that the color or style actually represents. But that's because they're Even very more, political, yeah. And, yeah. and you live in Jerusalem, or you live in B'nai Brak, you live in Tel Aviv, or you live in one of the settlements on the West Bank. What you wear actually, unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, identifies... It's like a, it becomes, unfortunately, a political statement... What you put on your head. So, no, but you didn't would, know that. What you put on, period. So if I wear uh, three-quarter length pants, says one thing. If I wear a certain kind of cap, might right. say something else. If I cut my hair in a certain way, may something say something else. But this particular thing that I was somehow telling somebody that the original House of Pancakes is kosher was not my intent. And so I decided not to wear the kippah anymore. Well, all you have to do is when you're walking in the street, you wear the kippah. When you walk into the store, you put on your baseball hat. I understand that I there's just... lots of things you can do, but I'm just saying that. <laughs> it just wasn't worth it. Yeah. Anyways, I did want to touch, as our time is running and flying, which is good. Um, so yesterday was Yom Kippur, of course. Mm-hmm. So um, just curious, because I have my own takes on it. Um, are you inspired by Yom Kippur? And if so, by what? So, you know, it's so much easier to just answer your questions without going off on my own script. Okay? Yeah, but your own script is much more entertaining. <laughs> I uh, was confused as the uh, secular Jew that I am. I thought Rosh Hashanah was the new year. Yes. And just after that, by a short period of time, was the Day of Atonement. Yes. So I presume if it's the new year, we must be starting the new the book the Torah at the beginning again. And, right. And so I thought that I would discuss with you how does the ending on Yom Kippur compare to the beginning and in the beginning and God created, and it turns out that I was wrong. Yes. Yes, I was wrong. That's because you don't study with me enough. I don't study with you at all. Right, I didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) The answer as we're, time is running down, these are two different things. Uh, the year, calendar year, as the calendar will now turn from 5778, it has turned, to 5779. That happens on Rosh Hashanah. That's the day we say, God, you're king. Mm-hmm. And that's the day God says, I'm checking out how you did last year, and I got all my records here in front of me, good year, not so good year. That's Rosh Hashanah. Ten days later comes Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the uh, opportunity to repent on last year's stuff. On last year's stuff, um, I can fix it, which is in itself the whole concept of repentance is fascinating. So I can correct last year's stuff, fix up the books, so then God on Yom Kippur will close those books, seal the books, you did repent, you didn't repent, whatever you did, put them away, and now we've covered the new year and and, uh, where you rate from uh, from last year. Now there's another concept. That is the reading of the Torah. The reading of the Torah is not based actually on Rosh Hashanah itself. That is a, it used to be a, a, a three-year cycle. Then it was changed to a one-year cycle, and then some people went and put it back to a three-year cycle. And the cycle, it was decided to end 
on the last day, it's really the Sukkot, the seven days, and on the last day of Sukkot, there's two days outside of Israel, called Shminat Tzeres, called Simchat Torah, that was a holiday created, the holiday itself is a holiday, Torah says holiday, but how we celebrate that holiday was actually created by the period of the Gaonim, they lived in the 800s, 900s, and there's the music. So we're going to get back into this topic as soon as we come back. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi. I'm joined by Neil Zelenko. And we'll be right back. Plus, the latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market, all by the push of a button. Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno knows doors. Tarno knows doors. Hi, I'm Art, and we're the crew at Tuffy Walled Lake. We've been in Walled Lake for 20 years. And through our knowledgeable staff and customer satisfaction, we've become quite the cornerstone in our community and to our discerning customers statewide. We know how important your vehicle is to you, and we take pride in our impeccable, affordable service. And we're trying to get you back on the road as quickly and safely as we possibly can. Please stop in and see why everybody comes from all over to get their car serviced at 784 North Pontiac Trail in Wald Lake. Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our 9 and Dine special, 9 holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com. Hi, I'm Andy. And I'm David. Join us for fun and adventure on our new show, Podquesters, where we fight through imaginary battles and pray to the dice gods for good rolls. Yes, it's an epic, sweeping adventure. We try to fulfill our destinies without driving the Dungeon Master crazy. I thought that was the point. Anyways, check us out here on newradiomedia.com, Fridays, Podquesters. See you there. And we're back. And I get nods from Neil. He likes Drew's choice of music. I mean, it's not completely his choice. I gave him a basic list. I didn't like his choice of uh, uh, Smoke a Roach. What was that last song? No, Roach. no. That, what was it? I don't even know. What, what, what was that The song? guy said Rosh Hashanah. That's all I know. No, he didn't. He said Roach. Oh, he said Roach? <laughs> oh, man. I got to go back and check. You better edit It came people. up. Yeah. When I typed it in, it came yeah. up as Roche, and they pronounced it wrong. I did not know that. But let's let's go back. So we're talking what inspires us. So I know what inspires me, but I wanted to ask Neil. I did ask Neil, but he, of course, waited after the break. Um, what? Let's take it slow. What inspires you on or around or about Yom Kippur? So while you corrected me and said Yom Kippur is a time of atonement for the things I did, and believe me, there's plenty— I have a sense that Hashem, if that's what you refer yes. to, understands what's in my soul and forgives me. And so Yom Kippur for me is about looking forward. What kind of better human being 
slash Jew am I going to be in the next year? This is, I'm thinking about, you know, you're you're writing a book, you're going to close it. Listen, I, you know, I'm going to try to be a little fill-in-the-blank, nicer, more generous of spirit, uh, kinder to my fellow man, uh, more learn, whatever. I'm going to try these things. So I think for me, Yom Kippur is about commitments to the future. And I started to say to you that I do something that you're very familiar with, apparently, but is considered by some people to be barbaric. I shlug kaporis. So why don't you tell everyone who doesn't know, especially people listening in this room, okay. they have no idea what shlug kaporis means. Right. So I can't give you the exact definition, but a kaporis is a chicken or a bird, I think. Some people use a bird. Yeah. Some people use money. Some yeah. actually use a fish. But okay, yeah. go ahead. Okay. And what, what, what happens? And, and uh, you say, uh, you make a deal with God. And you say, God, this chicken was born to be chicken soup. It never was born to be a Jewish rabbi. It never was born to have any other life. It wasn't going to have a radio show. It was born to feed people. So whatever bad you might be thinking to do to me this coming year, perhaps you could do it to the chicken who's going to die anyways. But And some people stop there and they think, just do it to the chicken. But that's not what it's about. And let me live and do the kinds of things that a chicken can't do. Let me try to be a better person. Let me try to be more charitable. So I'm going to make this vow. If you'll take those things that you were thinking of doing to me and do them to the chicken, I'll commit to trying to be a better human being. And you do this with a live chicken. You're holding a live chicken in your hands, and you wave that chicken over your head. Al hachiat slots or something I said. Am I pronouncing it right? Uh-uh. Uh, uh, yeah, right. And you say this prayer, and then the chicken goes to his death. In fact, he may go to his death right in front of you in a kosher and a uh, uh, um, civil way. We try not, that's the whole thing about kashrut, is not to hurt an animal. But you don't let the chicken go be a free-range chicken. This chicken's going to its destiny, and perhaps. And so I do that. And I find it one of the most powerful things symbolically that I do as a Jew and also considered by most of my friends to be the most barbaric. <laughs> it's amazing. At the same time, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That, that, so it happens to be, so I use money. I'm not bringing a chicken into my house. But my son in Israel did go use chickens. And I asked him because I know this is the custom. The idea always was that that chicken would be slaughtered almost immediately mm -hmm. and be given to a poor family. So that poor family, that the whole year they go without meat, they now have a nice meal to get ready for Yom Kippur. So part of the idea is you're giving charity. Now, it's not only your idea, your thought process was fantastic because you like the idea of commitment and future. We'll get back to that in a second. But also what you're doing is I'm giving charity. So even it's not barbaric because we're slaughtering it and it's fine, but but – we're, we're doing something before Yom Kippur to help somebody else out. Right, but I, I, I was raised that it's perfectly fine for you to take that chicken home, slaughtered in a humane way, and have your wife prepare it for that yunta's dinner, and it doesn't make you less charitable or less a Jew. And so certainly if you were uh, uh, poor, you can't afford. You so, take it home. Right, right. But, but, most but, the, other, but, but the other thing is, is that you can give it to charity. But it just – so – have you ever done it with a live chicken? Yes or Twice. No? Twice. So it's different than money. It's much different than much money. Different. And money, money is the 
cheapest kind of tzedakah you can give. And that will be a whole nother show okay, from good. someone who is very charitable, Neil. Okay, so well, no, we're going to hold that. Yeah, but yeah, that yeah. Though I'm we're just saying that. So, you know, swinging the money and giving it to charity, I yasher koch to you, but it's not the same as feeling that warmth of another living thing while you make this simple vow between you and whoever. So you say, so for you, Yom Kippur is the commitment to the future, but... In the process of repentance, there's, I'm sorry for what I did. I'm not going to do it again. And my commitment is to be better. Because what would be the purpose of saying, I'm really sorry, and Mr. Police Officer, I'm really sorry I went through that stop sign. I'll probably do it again tomorrow, and hopefully you won't be standing here. Right. So you're concurring with what I'm saying, which is the future-looking part is way more important than the looking back, because what's done is done. Right. But it's a process. That's fine. I'll accept all that. It's all part of the process. So I find Yom Kippur, that time of renewal to think about what kind of person am I going to be. And I've decided this year, since you confused me with when is New Year, when does the Torah start, one starts in March and one starts in November, that I'm going to live on the basis that every single day is the first day of the new year. And what kind of person am I going to be in this new year? So how am I going to be tomorrow? And the next day. And that's so that's how I view Yom Kippur, but it causes me to focus on it. Amazing. So I, of course, have my own ideas. One of the things we talk about before Yom Kippur is people ask each other forgiveness. If I did anything wrong to you, we're talking about people that are sincere. Not that, you know, I, uh, all the words I won't use on, on the on the airwaves, um, I did this to you, I did that to you, and I'm really sorry, and I know uh, I cost you this business deal and that business deal, I'm really sorry. I, I don't mean that. I mean, people sincerely care, feel bad, they hurt someone's feelings, they said something not nice. So the, the, the atmosphere, the atmosphere as you get ready for Yom Kippur, whether it's friends, whether it's within the family, everyone says, I hope you forgive me for this. If I did anything wrong, I hope I give blessings. My kids call me up. I, I, I like the master has a nice long blessing for the kids. My wife makes up her own. She's actually fantastic. For me, it's just easier. Give me the whole written script because it's beautiful in itself. But there's a, there's a certain closeness and warmth and togetherness and love is probably a good word that is created as we go into this day, which officially God is judging, and, and it's going to be the final decision, and, and uh, what's the book going to look like? And we walk in with this amazing feeling of, of, of togetherness. And to me, that's what I, I don't want to say most, that's one of the things that, that inspire me coming into Yom Kippur. Whatever we are the whole year, however we are to each other, but when we get to Yom Kippur... We're all of this one mind. We're all in it together. We're all friends. We all take care of each other. I, I just love it. Is there some particular greeting that uh, translates to if I offended you? Is there something that you say? Like, um, not really. Right. It's a pretty straightforward. So, I did something wrong. I hope you forgive me. Right. So, but Slicha, you mean? No. No, I didn't know that. Oh, word. no, I don't no, think they're so, that official. So, but you use two different words here. Of course, we're going to replay that during your testimony. One said... I did something, and the other said, if I did something. There are two different requests for forgiveness. Right. One is, I know I did something wrong to you. Right. And that one, if I know it, 
you probably know it. Those are special cases. In other words, if I know I, I, I know I did something, I know what the story Those was. Those are the hardest Much ones hardest. to do. If I can say to the gentleman here, if right. when I walked in and I called you a Lion fan or whatever, who knows? I find those to be shallow requests for forgiveness. A real re- request for forgiveness is that you know. And maybe I know that I talked Lashon Hurrah about you, that you didn't even know. I know that. So how can I ask you if I offend you? You say, no, you never offended me, Neil. We got along fine, but you don't know what I said about you behind your back. Right. And so that that kind of request is a harder one and is not as, not as well done. But has fantastic value. Yeah. And it's, if you can do it. Now, that's the question. There's a book I've been reading. So he talks about different levels of how we act with other people. So he talks about the case. You had a lifetime friend and you insulted him. You hurt his feelings. When you go over and you ask for forgiveness, but again, but you mean it. So what's supposed to happen, I mean, maybe not right away, is it'll actually make the relationship better. And I was, So what if you ask for forgiveness? Svi, I apologize for what I did to you back in whatever. And, and you say, well, I just don't accept it. I don't think your apology is sincere enough. I don't think it covers enough ground. I think what you're apologizing for is nothing compared to what you really did to me. Good. So the rule is you're supposed to go back and ask again. However, there's limits. In other words, you're supposed to ask three times, not one after another, because it's not sincere. And if it's not sincere, there's not much value there. So a friend of mine many, many years ago in high school, I don't know what he did. He was a rotten guy, at least in those days. He won't be a Supreme Court judge now if he did it in high school. Yeah. (laughs) I don't even want to bring up that stuff. But anyways, he comes to me, and he knew that he was just antagonistic. Oh, you forgive me? And I said, you know, I'm not ready to yet. Come back to me tomorrow. And he did. And I think it gave him time to think, you know, I, I I was offline. I was off base. And he actually, a week later, after he came back to me, I said, yeah, I forgive you, no problem. He came back to me and says, you know, I appreciated what you did. You didn't just say, yeah, 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 like you don't care, because then you don't care. You're not going to be nicer to me the next day because you really don't forgive me. You really thought about it, and you wanted to forgive me, but you couldn't. Because, as this friend was saying to me, he says, you knew that I didn't really mean it. So you needed to help me. You needed to help me feel bad for what I did come back and ask, then I really forgave him, then we were really friends. So yes, there, there's, it's, it's, there's something to be said when it's real. It's, it's, it's a real struggle in, uh, in America today, or maybe in the modern world. First of all, for people to be responsible for their actions, it's uncommon. It's uncommon even in your school of young, pious kids. I didn't do it. I didn't mean it. It wasn't me. It didn't. It's very, very difficult for people to really own it. It's difficult for people to look in the mirror and say, yes, I know what Svi did to me, but what did I do that maybe brought this on? So this whole thing of forgiveness is very challenging, very challenging. But look what it creates. And as we have that mm-hmm. ability to create a, a, a tighter bond, yeah. more love, more mm-hmm. friendship, it's a... Uh, it's really amazing. It's a nice practice, but it's not, not so easy. And it's also very difficult to uh, uh, grant forgiveness. Right. But yeah. if it would be so easy, yeah, well, like all things, then what, what's its value? If it's, mm-hmm. I mean, if it's so easy, anybody could do it. Yeah. So, like, who cares? Yeah. So, 
in my 14 seconds, I'm gonna. We didn't answer one of the questions at the beginning. We talked about why Shemina uh, Simchas Torah. Simcha Torah is when we celebrate giving it a Torah. It's a very simple, quick. We don't have time on Rosh Hashanah or on Yom Kippur. We're busy praying, chauffeur, making God king. I don't got time to celebrate that I got the Torah. They had to really push it off pretty much a week and a half where I got time for it. And here again comes the music. We're going to be back right after the break. We got to do our letter of the week, our word of the week. Last words and thoughts from Neil. We'll be right back. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi and hold on. Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our 9 and Dine special, 9 holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com. At Murray's Park City, we're known for offering customer service you won't get in any chain store or online. But don't take it from me, just listen to what our customers have to say. The employees at Murray's are knowledgeable, courteous. They make you feel like you're at home. Pick up a can of Seafoam Fuel System Treatment for only $6.99 or a 5-quart container of Mobile One Motor Oil for just $28.95. Murray's Park City and Pontiac Trail at Maple Road in Walled Lake. We've got the parts you need when you need them. the latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market all by the push of a button. Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno knows doors. Tarno knows doors. Do you want to see things like this? Did you just say you died? <laughs> <laughs> well... I mean, technically. Or maybe even something like this. We'll do nothing but destroy your corpses and burn them all for my dogs. Your dogs are gone. And sometimes, a little of this. We need to have a talk. <laughs> I take my axe and I smash it. No! <laughs> and check out Podquesters, the show where we tackle ghoulish goblins, fiendish foes, and dangerous tricks. Oh, like the singing?